Before the birth of, Je- uh, before the birth of Jesus, God's people anxi- anxiously awaited the coming of the Messiah. Israel's hope of redemption lay in God's promises of this Messiah, the Christ. On this first Sunday of Advent, we recall this hope in the coming Messiah as we read the proclamation made to Mary, a virgin of Jesus' birth. Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so the angel departed from her. This purple candle of hope solemnly reminds us of the hope God's people had in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born to redeem them from their sins. Now our hope still remains in the promises of God as we anticipate Jesus' return in glory. The Old Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the first chapter of Isaiah, or the 11th chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and shall shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, uh, 
our grandchildren, or this past week, our grandchildren came to see us. Uh, and they are germ and bacteria factories, as I'm sure you have found out about your children. And they brought bad disease to the Sartell household at 60 Augusta Drive in Oakland. And that bacteria and virus flourished in me this week. Uh, so I have not uh, greeted anyone this morning by shaking your hand or giving you a hug or a kiss. Uh, I have kept my distance from you because I don't want you to have uh, what I have. And so after the service, I'm going to take my leave uh, without uh, coming into to personal contact with you. Uh, and believe me, you want that. Uh, we're beginning our Advent series this morning. And we're starting in the Old Testament. You've heard me speak many times, uh, in fact, very frequently, about the unity of Scripture. How from Genesis to Revelation, it's just one book. Thousands of years in writing by different writers. But there was one writer, really, the Holy Spirit. And you see on every page uh, a unity that just pulls everything together. After 50 years of ministry, I'm still discovering it's a joy every week to see what I have not seen before, to see how that uh, unity uh, continues to be revealed, even in the most minute details. You'll see that this morning. Isaiah lived 700 years before the incarnation, 700 years before Jesus. Yet he spoke in detail about his birth. He spoke in detail about his death. He was able to write what he could not have known as he was moved and inspired and blessed by the Holy Spirit. This morning we come to one of those great passages, Isaiah chapter 11. Before we look at it, let's pray. And ask the God who was with him there, who's with us this morning, let's ask him to speak to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come as a congregation of priests. We bow before you. This is the one time in the week when, uh, Father, we, we gather as a congregation of priests. We pray as individual priests all through the week praying for our wives and husbands, praying for our children, praying for our parents, praying for our neighbors and the people around us, coming before you, representing them. And now, Father, at this sacred time, with our fellow priests at Christ Presbyterian, we bow before you. We come on behalf of others we pray this morning for Priscilla Turner that you would bless her at this time. Thank you for the strength that you've given her, the spiritual strength and the physical strength. What a blessing she's been to us.
Father, it seems as her body grows weaker that her spirit is so much stronger. We pray that you would strengthen her physically, strengthen her spiritually. We pray for Jim Bennington this morning, Father. We pray that you would give the doctors wisdom to be able to know, to see what is the source of his pain, what is the source of his trouble, and to bring healing to his body. We pray for Janet Sartell this morning. Father, we thank you for how you have blessed her in these last two years and have brought health to her. What a blessing she's been to all of us. We pray at this time, Father, you would bring healing to her body. We pray that you would take this cancer away. But first and most of all, we pray that you would give her a physical strength and a spiritual strength, a spiritual strength that would cannot, cannot be shaken because she stands on your way. Our Father, we pray for the children of Christ Presbyterian. We pray that you would continue to teach them through Kimberly and her team and their ministry. We pray that you would bless our youth through Tyler as he brings your word to them. Anoint him, Father. We pray that you'll anoint the ears of our children and our youth, that they would hear your word and that you would raise a generation out of this church like Fayette County has never seen. And now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would speak to us. John Sartell cannot speak so that it will make any difference in our lives, but you're able to speak, Father, so that we're changed from the inside out so that we continue to grow in Christ. And we pray when we leave here in a few minutes that we will know that you have spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. The kingdom of peace. When will children play on the whole of the cobra? World War One was the war that was fought to end all wars. Our society sincerely thought a hundred years ago as that war was being waged, sincerely thought that that war would end all wars. There would never be another one. Then came Hitler. Neville Chamberlain was Prime Minister of England from 1937 to 1940. He went to Munich in 1938 and he signed a pact, a peace pact with Hitler. In this pact, Germany received a part of Czechoslovakia. I had not been born yet, but I have seen the pictures of Chamberlain returning to England as he deplaned, as he walked down the stairs from the plane. He was euphoric. He came off the plane waving the Munich pack, saying that he had brought peace in our time. The ink was barely dry when Hitler broke the pack and invaded all 
Czechoslovakia. Chamberlain was naive to think that he could achieve peace with Hitler. We have said it to each other as we've looked at the lessons of history in our day. We cannot have peace with the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Idi Amins, with the Mayos, with the Pol Pots, with Bin Ladens, with Kim Jong-uns of this world. We just can't. The 20th century was man come of age. We flew. We invented telephones, radios, televisions, developed computers, built cars, built spaceships, went to the moon. Civilized man began to think of himself as capable of achieving anything. Yet... In that most civilized of all centuries, there were over 220 wars. The 20th century was the bloodiest, the most advanced century. The century filled with all the wonder of technology. That century was the bloodiest of all centuries. An estimated 200 million people were killed in wars. New words were developed to describe man's potential for destruction, genocide, holocaust, nuclear war, terrorism. Man has brought incredible technological changes to this world. But the human soul remains the same. We have advanced to, safe, to, to space travel. But the human soul, it remains the same. We have made great advancements in medicine. We have learned to alter man's physical heart. But we have not learned to change his spiritual heart and his soul. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they knew all about war. Isaiah had seen the northern kingdom of Israel wiped out, completely destroyed, wiped out. I mean, that was next door to southern Israel. They had been wiped out by the Syrian army. Then he had seen, Isaiah had seen the beginning of the end as the armies of Babylon came to the southern kingdom, came to Judah, came to Jerusalem. Jeremiah followed on the heels of Isaiah, and he saw the end of Jerusalem. He could look over the walls of Jerusalem, and there were the great armies of Nebuchadnezzar as far as the eye could see. Isaiah and Jeremiah saw Battle after battle, war after war. They saw cities carried away into captivity and slavery. But in the midst of the wars with Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon, Isaiah wrote about a ruler who would come. And he also wrote, here in the midst of, of a ravaged land, here in the midst of war, he wrote about a peace 
that that ruler would bring a peace that would be beyond imagination. In the midst of this awful destruction, Isaiah wrote about the Messiah who would come and from this Messiah would flow an incredible peace. Read about that peace with me. As he wrote of that peace, he showed the source of the strife. Look at it with me. Isaiah 11, 6 through the 9. This is the peace as Isaiah described it. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters that cover the sea. We've never seen anything like that, have we? Isaiah, in this very graphic picture, does display an incredible piece But he also speaks, he also reveals the source of the strife. Think about it. Isaiah wrote about two types of animals. Aggressive, powerful, dangerous animals. And passive, weak, harmless animals. The culprits in this animal menagerie were wolves, leopards, bears, lions, and cobras. What do, what do those animals, animals have in common? It is their nature to destroy, their nature to kill. The lamb, the young goat, the calf, the cow, the ox, they are non-aggressive animals. It's not their nature to kill. They can be domesticated. Isaiah, why can there be no peace between the lion and the ox, between the wolf and the lamb, between the leopard and the goat? Because it is nature, it is the nature of the lion to kill the ox. It's the nature of the wolf to kill the lamb. It's the nature of the leopard to kill the goat. Now listen, just so the Bible teaches that the heart of man, the nature of man, It's the source of the strife. Look with me on your scripture sheets at Matthew 15, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles the person. For out of the heart, where from out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. Where does murder come from? From the heart. Look at Romans 3, 15. 
He's speaking about mankind in general. He's speaking about himself. He's speaking about mankind in general. He says their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry or misery. And the way of peace, they have not. The way of peace, this peace, any kind of peace, they've not known it. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivals. You see that? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivals, dissensions, envy. It's what comes out of us. It's in the heart. It's seated in the heart. William Golding was an English novelist. He died in 1993. He wrote or he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1983. He is best known for a novel that he wrote in 1954, The Lord of the Flies. The Lord of the Flies is a study in human nature. World War II, when Golding wrote, was over, just over. It was a little less than a decade after the war that he wrote this book. Golding wrote in The Lord of the Flies a fictional story about a, a group of English boys, of English prep school boys from the finest families in England. There was a war going on out in the world. And he, he wrote how these boys had been marooned by a plane crash on an island. They were elementary age. They had no adult supervision. So here were these boys, the age of many of our children. They became divided over petty issues. And they formed two gangs. The boys warred against each other and they killed each other. At the end of the story, the boys on this island are discovered by an English naval officer on a British cruiser. And the captain is appalled at what's happened with these boys on the island. And he chides the boys. He tells them that he expected better from English boys from such fine families. Golding meant for the comment of the captain to be the height of hypocrisy because he was about to sail his ship out into the midst of a world at war. Golding meant for the story on that island to be a microscopic illustration of what was going on in the world. As the captain chides the boys, one of them, named Ralph, wept. He wept, and I quote, for the end of innocence and the darkness of man's heart. What was Golding saying? He was saying, thing that, he was saying the same thing as Isaiah, the same thing as Jesus, the same thing as Paul. War. 
hate, enmity, jealousy, envy. It's in the heart of man. You know, in thinking about this, thinking about this message, I thought about all the Star Wars movies. I, I kept up with the first three or four. And now they've got prequels. They've got in-between stories. I, I've lost count. But have you noticed? Here's man. You know, there's these fantastic machines. Fantastic weapons, fantastic spaceships, all this technology. But have you noticed there's still war? All the stuff. What's the name? Star Wars. They're looking into the future and they're saying, it's going to be war. Why? Because it's in the heart of man. We want to say that we are not the cobra, the lion, the bear, the leopard. But we are. We war in our marriages. We war in our business. We war in our neighborhoods. We war in our politics. We war against our parents. We war against our children. We war against brothers and sisters. We war against people with different color of skin. We war against other cultures. Now, we can certainly blame Hitler and Stalin and Mao. But, set, but take any 50 people and set them on an island and return 100 years later and see how their history is any different from ours. It won't be. Because the source of strife is in the human heart. Secondly, I want you to see in this passage the source of the incredible peace Look in the first verse. Where does the chapter begin? Where does Isaiah, but he doesn't talk about the peace to begin the chapter. First, he talks about the Messiah, the king that's coming, the ruler that's coming. There should come forth a shoot from the stump of David. Or excuse me, from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And so here's his stump. David, Jesse's long gone. David's long gone. And David represented what kings ought to be, what rulers ought to be. And so here's this stump, the stump of Jesse. And a branch is going to come out of it from that stump. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. You need to know that this theme about the Messiah and the incredible reign that he will bring, the incredible kingdom we will bring, it runs throughout Scripture. Go to the end. Go to Revelation 21, and there it is. Look on your scripture sheet. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the old city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. Where did that start? It started in the incarnation. The Messiah, the Messiah who was coming, did come. He came. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order, now look at this, the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You look at that. And you think about the same thing that you think back in Isaiah. Isaiah said there's going to be a peace and the lion is going to lay down with the, with, with the, with the lamb. The child's going to play on the hole of the cobra. And you look at that with a skepticism. How can that be? That, that, that's, that's impossible. And then you read in Revelation 21. He said, I'm going to create everything new. This creation is going to be consummated and there will be a new creation. This is where the world says, as they look at the, super, the supernatural aspects of the gospel, the supernatural aspects of God's word, this is where the world says, you really don't believe that, do you? You really can't believe that, can you? One of my mentors, a man who had a profound influence upon my life, was Dr. Robert Todd Lapsley Liston, RTL Liston. He was president of the college I attended, King College in Bristol, Virginia, Tennessee. He was a true Renaissance man. Had several doctorates. He studied under Rudolf Bultmann, who was the father of modern theological liberalism. He studied under him in Germany. But Liston was not swayed by Bultmann's liberalism. He stayed faithful to God's word. When, any, when he retired from King College, he came to Columbia Seminary, where I was attending, and was asked to be an adjunct professor there. He was teaching from John chapter 3 in a classroom at Columbia one day. I was there. And he read from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, this was a very liberal seminary. Didn't believe such things. And a student raised his hand. Dr. Liston, you're a brilliant man. You really don't believe John 3.16. You're a scholar. Several doctrines. I knew Dr. Liston very well. He had taken me under his wing when I was back in college. He stood before the class, his Brooks Brothers suit.
his glasses. I can still see him. He looked at the student. He said, I'm an old man. I'm at the end of my life. Are you going to tell me that Jesus did not rise from the dead? Are you going to tell me that Jesus did not heal the sick? Are you going to tell me that Jesus was not God incarnate? He said, would you rob this old man of his comfort? It was a confrontation between our current world in the gospel. It was a confrontation between the secular world that we have become and the gospel. Liston was saying that we must deal with this prophecy the same way we deal with the claims of Christ. His claims seem absurd to the secular world. Only insane people claim to be God. Only an egotist claims he will judge the world unless, unless he's exactly who he said he was. Unless he was exactly who he claimed to be. People, when we come to passages like this, we must not try to soften these terms. He was who he said he was. Or he was a charlatan. Or he was insane. But if, if he is who he claimed to be, amazing. The blind really did see. The paralyzed really did walk. The dead were really raised. The picture from Isaiah. We read it and it's just impossible. Do you really believe there can be that kind of peace? Really? The lion would lay down with the lamb. But where does Isaiah begin? It just doesn't magically occur. It doesn't occur. It's man evolves and develops all this technology. He first speaks of that Messiah who's coming. The coming ruler, the coming king. And that's the same ruler that John sees in Revelation. Who is seated on the throne and says, I am making everything new. It flows from him, the incarnate God. The son of man and the son of God. At one time, I thought my dad could do anything. He was a warrior, a scholar, an athlete. When I was young, he could answer all my questions. And then I grew up. I remember seeing my father in our living room. When my brother Mike was killed in a car wreck, 
Your father was in the initial stages of Alzheimer's. He could not bring my brother back. He couldn't fix that. He could really not even grasp what had happened. He could not fix it and make it well. He himself was dying. That's the way a lot of people look at Jesus. He was someone to believe in when we were young. But we've grown up now. We live in a real world. Jesus, he can't fix. He can't fix this world. People, the story of the gospel is indeed incredible. From Genesis to Revelation, don't try to tame it. Don't try to do that this Advent season. God became flesh. Jesus made the blind to see. He raised the dead. He died for our sins. He stood in God's place of judgment, in the God's courtroom. And he was and is about the changing of the human heart. He is returning. And he will make all things new. It's incredible. I know. It's supposed to be incredible. It's supposed to be. The source of the strife, the source of the incredible peace, the God-man Jesus. And finally, Quickly, this incredible peace that's going to come, it's already begun. We can catch glimpses of it even now in this world. One last scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't look at anything else, look at this. Now keep in mind what Isaiah said. The lamb will lay down with the lion when the Messiah comes. Now look at what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners from the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what? What is it? Our peace who has made the two. These two people that were hostile to each other has made them one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making what? Peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What's he saying? Jesus came and he brought peace. He brought a kingdom where men and women, boys and girls, old and young, black and make peace with each other because of what Christ has done in their hearts. In Colossians 3.11 we read, there is here. Where's here? Here in his kingdom, 
There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ created the one man. He made us all one. Look at Colossians 3.12. Put on then as, Christ, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And what? Look at 15. Circle it. Mark it. Down. Underline it. Put an asterisk by it. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's no ordinary peace. It's extraordinary peace. And that peace has already started. That's what Paul is saying. That peace of Isaiah has started. When Paul penned these words, he was thinking of Isaiah chapter 11. It's already here. It's already now. Now, one day there's going to be a complete transformation. One day when Jesus returns, it'll be made complete. But it has started. Janet was very protective of our third child. Jill's here this morning, our oldest. And you can ask her about this later. She'll verify this. Jamie was born and she was 10 years younger than Jill. And for some reason, she was mama's cub. And you had to continually. You had to know every moment. Where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? Jamie be in the backyard, a fenced-in backyard. You can see her out the window. Where's Jamie? Well, Mom, she's in the backyard. Well, go check on her. Make sure she's all right. Mom, she's in the backyard. She's not in the jungle. She's not in the street. She's in the backyard. She's safe. Now, in the new heavens, in the new earth, when he creates all things new, Where's Jamie? Well, she's in the backyard playing with a cobra. And you know what Janet will say? Get the camera. Let's get a picture. See, it's really not talking about a child playing on the horn of a cobra. It's talking about people who are mortal enemies. Sitting down and eating together at the Lord's table. That's what's talking about. And you know, even now, I've seen black and whites love each other in Jesus. I've seen former Klansmen, real Ku Klux Klansmen, pray with former Black Panthers. I've seen husbands who have viciously, cr viciously crushed their wives' hearts, grow old together with those same wives. I've seen Jews and Arabs hug each other under the cross. I've seen a man whose daughter was brutally murdered. I've seen him forgive, take the gospel, to the murderer, to the man that murdered his own daughter. 
I've seen a Jew from a concentration camp forgive a warden from that camp who personally persecuted her. I've seen a woman stand in front of a congregation of Christians and introduce a former Alka savage who killed her husband. And that day she introduced him as her brother in Christ. You see, lions really do lay down with lambs. And we're seeing it. Even now, in this fallen world, look closely. And you'll see the restoration has already begun, even in our own hearts. I'm moved by this scripture. You see, I was the lion. I was the cobra. I remember and know how angry I was, how unforgiving I was. I wanted two teeth for a tooth, two eyes for an eye, full of revenge. But Jesus brought something to my life that changed that. This must be applied to our lives, to your life this morning. Think about it. Look for fulfillment in your own life. There are people with whom you are enemies. People with a mutual alienation or hate. But now, at least in your heart, there's a peace. The peace that Jesus brought. And if it's not there, maybe you need to become reacquainted with the prince, with the king, with the prince of peace. Our hymn is Ferris Lord Jesus.